Now, I'm your host, Kenzie, here with Nicole and Denise, and today we're taking a look at the infamous 1947 Roswell incident. Ooh. From strange alien creatures and UFO debris allegedly lying about the desert to military cover-ups and government conspiracies, what really happened on that summer day all those years ago? I'm excited about this. Me I, too. I, I mean, I'm familiar. Love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with you know Roswell yeah. and that there are yeah. aliens involved and possibly a conspiracy theory, but I honestly don't know that much about it. So Ooh, I'm really same. excited. I I don't know much about it either, but it seems like all my life I've heard about it because this happened before I was even born. Mm. So yeah. let's get into it. it. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of become the the quintessential UFO happening. Mm. It even inspired a TV show, right? Two. Well, it was a series, a, a book series, and there was a TV show based off of it uh, called Roswell that came out in 1999, and it aired, I think, till 2002, and there's actually a reboot of the series. It's called Roswell, New Mexico, and it's on, I think, the CW, and it's on its fourth season, and it is so cheesy oh. and campy, but I love it. Oh. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Oh, we might have to do a review. Yeah, it's watch like, some episodes. It's like silly sci-fi with like you know romance, and but it's it's so good. It's so good. Right. it's like a yeah. guilty pleasure. It is. It is. It's so goofy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we dive into uh, Roswell, I wanted to take some time to talk about the fabulous Halloween weekend we had down in the incredibly charming and hella haunted town of Waynesville, Ohio. Just a short 30-minute drive south of Dayton, Waynesville boasts a collection of old, old homes, rolling hills, plenty of shops, and a wealth of history and hauntings. So, ladies, what was your favorite part of the weekend? Oh, well, the whole thing, the whole experience was fabulous, and that was our second time going down, mm -hmm. so it's kind of turned into an annual October girls trip. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite thing, honestly, was while we had that Ghosts and Goblets dinner at the Hamill House, which was a really good mm -hmm. dinner with ghost stories. Yes. And then we had a, a walking tour of like the downtown historic area of Waynesville. That was fun. But I really loved going to the museum. What was it, the Friends Home yeah. Museum? Yeah, Friends Museum. Yeah, that had such a spooky vibe to it. It did. And that how they had every room kind of broken up by theme. You know, had a lot of memorabilia from the town and history and uh, notable people who lived there. Mm -hmm. And all those really old vintage dresses that they had there. Um, I, well, I would call them antique. Antique. They, right. Like they the were 1800s. vintage. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah. They, they were, were way beyond, antique. Beyond <laughs> yeah, antique. Be, Classical? <laughs> is that what's beyond yeah. antique? <laughs> oh, and, and yeah, you're right. Because there were some that were like early 1800s. Yeah. But I got such a weird vibe in that building. I don't know what it was. I think maybe I just feel that way around, you know, antique things. And Well, maybe the concentration of all those old items, I don't know, have like energies attached yeah attached to it and maybe putting them all in one spot just kind of you can't help but feel weird being in a place like that right and it was never someone's home it was a boarding house correct yeah, yeah. it was run by the quakers yeah so i don't know why i think i was just because of the ambiance of the night i was like expecting oh uh, yeah that's true <laughs> oh, it's such something a, spooky yeah. an old beautiful building too on the inside yeah um, I think the thing that I enjoyed the most was at the dinner, we had a local person standing there while we're eating, telling stories uh, of everything that the community has experienced. And then taking that ghostly walk, mm -hmm. the tour, um, and pointing out the ages of the homes, um, the, the things that uh, they've experienced there, the people that have lived there. 
I I really enjoyed that part of it too because you felt really close to it. Like this is real, right? And then we went into the candy shop the next morning, and right. I had to ask the 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 owner, "Have you had any experiences here?" And at first she was like, "No." She was, "Oh, oh yeah, there was. I had this dinosaur mold uh, for the candy that was left." laying down and I did something when I came back, it was setting up and she thought that was kind of odd. Uh, but it was kind of like she had to come up with something, I guess. Right. She felt like she had to, but anyway, it was a good experience. Loved hearing the stories firsthand. Yes. It's so much different than hearing things, reading things. But when you talk to somebody that has experienced something firsthand, mm -hmm. that's cool. That's really cool. I agree. Yeah. I, I really liked learning about um, the the people that lived there and like built homes. All the innovation that came from amazing some of the residents. Uh, the latex gloves. Evans was his name. Evans, I think Evans. it was Evans. I could be wrong. Sorry if but, I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> there was um another gentleman who developed uh, the disposable sterile latex. Uh, surgical gloves mm -hmm. that you know use all the time mm -hmm. in medical offices and surgeries and stuff like that and he also developed uh the plastic iv bag yeah right it's just so cool to think about all the innovation that came from there and, and from the state in general why does everybody hate on ohio but he's like oh, ohio but like think you know we're the coolest state for a reason I mean, maybe i'm biased but <laughs> all those presidents all the astronauts the, and the right? Wright brothers yes yeah there's yeah. a lot of cool stuff about the buckeye state yeah mm -hmm. um, unless you're a michigan fan you might not agree <laughs> <laughs> or you're one of uh, the ohioans who is a michigan fan uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah it was a good weekend Definitely recommend if you're into, you know, small town spooky stuff, check out Waynesville. And now, getting into the thick of it, it's time we talk about Roswell. All right. What comes to mind for either of you when you hear the city's name? I, I guess uh, the alien invasion stories you would hear. Mm. Or finding an alien that was supposedly kept somewhere. and Yeah. Yeah, I get images of those those really weird fake alien autopsy videos yeah. that went around <laughs> yes. a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that I don't know when I hear Roswell, that makes me think of that. I also think of like the image of a metal saucer like shape with yes. a little green alien and kind of like your classic stereotypical yeah. imagery. Um, yeah. And kind of like the desert vibe. Yeah. Military cover-up. Yes, me too. I I was going to say, I immediately think of, you know, little green men and government conspiracies. Um, but of course, I think about too how all of the UFO stuff probably overshadows kind of the town and its history a lot. Because um, it actually has quite the rich aerospace and scientific history. Uh, Robert H. Goddard, the famed rocket scientist did a lot of his research and testing there there's a laboratory there named after him and a lot of the surrounding areas played an important role in uh you know nasa history and all that stuff which is pretty cool but everybody just wants to talk about you know the alien stuff which is interesting is there a connection oh yeah so there's a lot of innovation yes. and testing of rocketry and nuclear bombs aircraft, out there aircraft experimental things are we attracting them yeah. with this technology they probably just come though to observe and laugh because <laughs> they're probably so yeah. far ahead of us that it's entertainment for them you know yeah. it's like a family oh, sunday drive they come down to videos. earth <laughs> and they watch us struggling yeah. in, the, in the desert <laughs> They say to their family, watch, yeah. you got to see this. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, a new season of Earth just dropped. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so all things aside, I first wanted to talk a little bit about the town's and the state's history. Prior to settlement by the Spanish in the 1500s, the territory now known as the state of New Mexico 
was occupied by the Pueblo, Apache, and Navajo. For the next several centuries, Spanish occupation grew as settlers attempted to convert the indigenous peoples to Christianity and mine the land for gold and silver. In 1821, the New Mexico Territory was taken over by the now independent Mexican Republic and remained under Mexico's purview until it was seized by the United States during the Mexican-American War in 1846. All this history has taken me back to elementary school days, but really the only thing I remember about the U.S.'s expansion was that uh, the Louisiana Purchase <laughs> was a big deal. And that's about it. <laughs> oh, and Lewis and Clark, those guys. Right. Can't name specific things, just those three. Manifest yeah. destiny. Yeah, that. Gold was a big deal Gold also. rush. Yeah. Railroads. Prospectors. Old-timey saloons. It's, it's all coming back <laughs> now, isn't it? Indians. <laughs> Uh, so the city of Roswell was founded from humble beginnings in 1869 by Van C. Smith and Aaron Wilburn. The town started with just two adobe buildings that housed the general store and post office, with Smith becoming the town's first postmaster. Smith named the town after his father, Roswell Smith. Honestly, kind of surprised to discover that was a man's name, and I gotta say, can we bring back the cool names for the fellas, please? Yeah. I'm over the chads, the the Chets, the Brents, the Brants. No shade to anyone who happens to be named that. It's, you know, not your fault you didn't choose it. But really, let's make names fancy again. Roswell. I had no idea that was a person's name. Yeah, me either. Roswell. They call him Roz. <laughs> I like it. The land surrounding the town was eventually bought up and expanded upon. But the town started to see real growth when an aquifer was discovered in 1890 by a merchant named Nathan Jaffa, who was constructing a well in his backyard. And also with the arrival of the Picos Valley Railroad, now called the Southwestern Railroad, in 1892. What was the original draw for the founders of the town to the dry, arid desert? I wasn't really sure. I think it, the area was first attempted to be settled by like pioneers, I think, they were drawn by the gold and silver rush. They wanted to mine for precious metals, but they failed to find water. So they eventually abandoned the area. But then um, uh, Smith and Wilburn settled in the area, kind of, I think, nearby where the original encampment was. And they were, they just kept on and they were a little more successful. And then, you know, they did find water eventually. And that just kind of led to the town's growth. So... I'm thinking it had something to do with that. New Mexico achieved statehood on January 6, 1912, becoming the 47th state of the Union. Neighbor Arizona rose to statehood just shortly after on February 14th of the same year, becoming the 48th and final state of the continental U.S. New Mexico contributed many fighters during both world wars and became the testing grounds for many top-secret wartime projects. Such one example is the infamous... Los Alamos Research Center, now called the Los Alamos National Laboratory near Santa Fe, where they developed the world's first atomic bomb under the Manhattan Project. The test of this bomb was carried out in 1945 at the Trinity Test Site, located within the present-day White Sands Missile Range in the city of Alamogordo, which is just a couple hours' drive from Roswell. The city of Roswell also saw military prominence just before the turn of the mid-century, Land acquired from a rancher in 1941 was converted into the Roswell Army Airfield, where a flight and bomber school was established. The airfield was later renamed Walker Air Force Base in 1948 after General Kenneth Newton Walker, who was killed in action in 1943. Some years later, during the Cold War, it would become the largest base within the Strategic Air Command, or SAC. SAC was responsible for commanding two of the three Strategic Nuclear Strike Forces, the two here being the land-based and aircraft-based nuclear missiles and bombs. And the Navy, of course, commanded the third, which was the submarine-based nuclear weaponry. Scary stuff. Prior to its Cold War heyday, Walker Air Force Base gained some less-than-stellar recognition for its involvement in the 1947 Roswell incident. So before we talk about the day of the incident itself, it's worth noting what was going on in the country just prior. Picture the cultural climate. We're still recovering from the war. 
We've just entered the nuclear age. Scientific discovery and industry is booming with experimental aircraft and such, and the threat of nuclear destruction by our hands and or by the Soviets is beginning to loom over the nation. Pair all of this with the fact that many across the country were reporting sites of UFOs or unidentified flying objects. While the name UFO has come to be synonymous with extraterrestrial aircraft, a UFO technically is anything that is observed flying, usually at a distance that initially is unable to be identified, whether it's a bird, a plane, Superman, or some kind of object. <laughs> at some point or another, most people probably have seen a UFO and didn't think much of it, especially if it was some kind of new <laughs> aircraft or whatever. You might not even recognize it, and maybe at first you're inclined to think of something otherworldly, or you just don't pay it any mind. But that said, it was during the summer of 1947 where people were forgoing skepticism and pointing to the idea of alien spacecraft. On June 24th, 1947, civilian aviator and businessman Kenneth Arnold was flying near Mount Rainier in Washington State. From his plane, he observed a UFO which he dubbed a flying saucer or flying disc. He kind of used those terms interchangeably. Now, we aren't sure what exactly it was he was looking at. Perhaps from his vantage point, the UFO in question was strange-looking and saucer-shaped, though from the ground, maybe the object's true nature was more apparent. However, it was Arnold's designation that set off the saucer craze of the summer of 1947. Hundreds and hundreds of reports were made about UFO sightings, including the one from Roswell. Around early July, shortly after Arnold's report, Rancher W.W. Mac Brazel discovered some unidentifiable debris on a corner of his land, located about 80 miles outside of town, closer to the city of Corona. Having heard of the UFO reports being made across the country, Brazel gathered up some of the debris and took it to the sheriff, George Wilcox, to see what he could make of it. Given Roswell's close proximity to the Roswell Army Airfield, Wilcox contacted the base to see if they knew anything about it. The commander at the time, Colonel William Blanchard, assigned intelligence officer Major Jesse Marcel to meet with the sheriff and examine the debris. The debris itself consisted of what appeared to be sheets of a thin, malleable metal and some pieces of wood. Colonel Blanchard notified the discovery of the debris to General Roger Ramey of the Fort Worth Army Airfield, the general ordered the materials be flown to Fort Worth with Major Marcel accompanying. A statement was prepared by the military and given in a press release. The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force, Roswell Army Airfield, was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers in the sheriff's office of Chavez County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell Sometime last week, not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group, Bomb Group Intelligence Office. Action was immediately taken and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by Major Marcel to higher headquarters. So where is it now? Good question. Mm. It wasn't, well, according to the military, it wasn't just one thing. It was many pieces of something. So the quintessential saucer shape yes. that comes to mind when we think of UFOs, I wonder when that was first used in imagery. It was before Roswell. It was. Like if you're looking back at like vintage artwork of people's idea of what the future would be like, it seems like there's always like a, some type of saucer shape or metal disc type right. shape. Right. I would love to know where that originated. You know, I think I've seen that before in old, old pictures where they have that image and a drawing or whatever. So this is the way I look at it. it, it there must be something to that. I really True. think somebody saw something and it looked like that. And it was way before they were doing, well, I could be wrong here, but before they were doing all these the scientific uh, things, you know, and 
weather balloons and all that. Now, what you said about what they found, uh, the skeptic in me is saying, okay, it sounds like sticks and tin foil. I mean, somebody could have made that. The military might have made something that they were testing. I'm still, at that part of the story, a little bit of a skeptic. Or I would be if I was hearing that for the first time. Right. I'm like, I don't know. Is that real? But there's more to the story. Yeah. And I mean, I know I mentioned Kenneth Arnold. He was kind of the first, at least in that year, that kind of set off all these other similar reports to say it's a, you know, use the term flying saucer or flying disc. I think people just believed him and they were like, oh yeah, I've seen something similar. Yeah, I've seen that too, you yeah. know, and they mm-hmm. just kind of went with it and, you know, word of mouth, people were like, oh yeah, you know, they just got used to hearing the word saucer and it, right. it just stuck. Right. I've- and then, you know, those videos that were declassified and released a few years ago, is it the naval uh, yes. videos? That, those were kind of almost like saucer shaped too. So mm-hmm. it probably does have, something to do with just similar yeah maybe that's imagery. The, the magical shape for interstellar space travel super aerodynamic yeah sure <laughs> it doesn't matter when you're going through space though well yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know who came up with that flying yeah. hubcap i don't <laughs> i'll definitely like to look into that more <laughs> yeah. the press would then release the following headline on july 8th Roswell Army Airfield captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. The article stated that the airfield was in possession of a flying saucer, prompting the initial global speculation and resulting confusion of what the debris really was. From this particular claim, one could easily assume that all the hubbub about an alien artifact was caused by the news article, coupled with all of the UFO reports coming out at the time. Well, yeah. I mean, the news just took that and ran with it. Yeah. It's likely that people's imaginations are going to run wild. Yeah. Well, the news said something, then maybe there's, you know, some to it. And, yeah. uh, Oh, it has to be something of alien origin. And since the military is involved, you know, it's got to be something special or something. They're always hiding stuff from us. (laughs) (laughs) Where things start to get interesting, however, was on the following day, July 9th, when the military retracted their initial statements, insisting instead that the debris was that of a weather balloon being used for military research. With wood? A weather balloon with wood pieces? Balsa wood. Balsa wood. Yeah. Something to make it real light or floating. Yeah. Maybe they put helium in it. I don't know. Did they test the wood samples? I, well, I did read that there was a separate investigation in 1948 about the materials that were collected. But I I don't know what the results of that test were. Okay. I mean, and you know, well, the military did it. So, you know, they're going to put whatever they want in that report. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a weather balloon, folks. Nothing to see here. Just Just some some popsicle sticks. (laughs) Just some harmless weather data collecting. We assure you. (laughs) That's what I'm imagining they were sounding like after, uh, you know, switching up their story. The daily morning newspaper, the Roswell Dispatch, released an article with the headline, Army Debunks Flying Disc as World Simmers with Excitement. Photographs of Marcel and other military personnel were released to the public, showing the men examining the debris. Um, And these are actually some pretty cool photographs, so we'll post them to our social media. Despite the abrupt change, the press and public seemed to accept it. And over time, the hype surrounding the Roswell incident died down. The little Roswell saucer was all but forgotten until several decades later. Why would the military insist so on the fact that the debris was actually pieces of a weather balloon? Well, what the public didn't know at the time was that the military was carrying out missions as part of a top-secret program called Project Mogul, which was active from 1947 to 1949. The project itself was actually a classified portion of a larger civilian project being conducted at New York University. The goal of the project was not to make harmless weather observations, but rather to construct and deploy a specialized type of balloon with sensitive equipment attached that was capable of detecting sound waves generated from Soviet nuclear weapons tests. So essentially, the NYU project was like a cover-up for the weather balloon cover-up of the U.S.'s espionage efforts. Of course, the military would not want to tell the press anything that might attract the Soviets' attention, 
the weather balloon story and even the silly alien UFO story may have helped shift the focus off of what was actually going on. Several similar projects would follow and expand upon Mogul's innovations as the Americans and the Soviets continued on with their will-they-won't-they they, end-of-the-world shenanigans. Which continues to this day. <laughs> now that makes more sense, that story. That, that may have been what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. The project surrounding the Roswell incident was not declassified until after the end of the Cold War and disbanding of the Soviet Union in the 90s. Seems a lot pretty straightforward, yes? Wrong, is what the true alien believers would say. Interest in the incident was renewed in 1978, when nuclear physicist and professional UFO researcher Stan Friedman interviewed Major Jesse Marcel about the 1947 incident. Marcel made vastly different remarks about the nature of the alleged weather balloon debris and claimed that the materials were from another planet. Two years later, Marcel was interviewed for the series In Search Of, where he stated the following. They wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't at liberty to do that. So all I could do is keep my mouth shut. And General Ramey is the one who discussed, told the newspapers, I mean the newsman, what it was, and to forget about it. It is nothing more than a weather observation balloon. Of course, we both knew differently. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so here we have someone who was there in 1947, an eyewitness who was responsible for recovering and delivering the debris to a superior officer, now claiming all these years later that what had been found in the New Mexico desert was of alien origin and that the government had made the cover-up to hide the discovery and cue the conspiracy theories. Something else that I wanted to note. So up until his death in 1986, he continued with his uh, statements about the cover-up and how uh, he was told to say otherwise what it really was. And uh, even his son, Jesse Marcel uh, Jr., up until his own death, uh, stated in interviews that when he was 10 years old in 47, his father had shown him alien debris recovered from the Roswell crash site. And according to his wife, Linda, uh, she was shown a small beam with purple-hued hieroglyphics on it. Hmm. Whoa. Which is interesting because uh, in that show I mentioned earlier, Roswell, New Mexico, I don't know what it was like in the original series, but... In the new series, you see parts of, like, their technology in the spaceship, and they've got these weird hieroglyphics on them, mm. and it's all, like, purpled stuff. So yeah. I'm wondering, like, the author must have really done His their research. research on all the claims that were coming out about it and, and used it to craft the story, which I thought was pretty cool. So were Marcel's statements over the years, were they pretty consistent, or did he change his story? Like, did it stay the same? It seems like... His statements were consistent. Okay. Now, I just also thought it was interesting that his son, who was a doctor, also, you know, proclaimed similar things. And I, I thought maybe in the late 70s and 80s, he's an older man. At this point, maybe he's got some, you know, health issues, dementia or something. Maybe he's confused about what he remembered. And, and so, you know, it's making him say these crazy stories, mm -hmm. but... I, nothing that I found about him stated that he had any health issues. So then the idea that like a being was found or a body was recovered, did that just come from the newspaper? I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Um, okay. Marcel himself never said that there were beings found. Okay. He, he just merely stated that he felt that the items that were recovered, they didn't originate from Earth. He believed they were of extraterrestrial origin. Adding fuel to the cosmic flames was The Roswell Incident, a book published in 1980, written by Charles Berlitz and William Moore. The book allegedly contains several first-person accounts of the 1947 incident, as well as includes statements made by Marcel. Uh, Brazel, the rancher who I mentioned earlier, was the one who discovered the debris, and others who were indirectly involved. It was in this book that the ideas of the presence of 
a crashed alien spacecraft and alien bodies were first touted. It's amazing how stories change over time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just get better and better. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Uh, the authors claim that the spacecraft was recovered and moved to Wright Field, now Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Mm. And that the military acted quickly to replace the debris with pieces of the Project Mogul balloon in order to cover up the incident's true nature. Oh my gosh. Is that where the pieces are to this day? Where are these pieces? Are they at Area 51? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in Nevada. I, oh. I mean, I suppose they could have transported. Well, they're them all connected by yeah. like a mass of yeah. underground tunnels, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who needs airplanes? Just build tunnels everywhere. <laughs> Despite the book being met with both criticism and belief, more theories, interviews, books, and even films were released over the next two decades, all of which further claimed to support the idea of a government cover-up. A noteworthy mention is the 1995 film Alien Autopsy Factor Fiction, released by London-based filmmaker Ray Santilli. That was from 1995? Yep. Whoa, that's a lot older than I realized. Yeah, older than me. Dang. 17-minutes long film claims to show footage of a classified autopsy of one of the alien bodies found at the Roswell, Roswell crash site. Santilli later admitted in 2006 that the film was a, quote, reconstruction, but that it was based on lost film footage and stills. Could there be a shred of truth to this film, or is it simply the work of one man's artistic liberty? Go watch it and tell us what you think. Yeah, I want to see this. Yeah. I, I only found, like, little clips. Uh, I tried looking for it on YouTube, but I think you, you don't have... You can only rent it or something. Mm. <sighs> it's worth renting. It. We'll yeah. have to yeah. check it out. In 1997, after so much attention, speculation, and theorizing by alien enthusiasts and even political pressure for the truth, the Air Force released the Roswell Report Case Closed, a lengthy document containing a detailed explanation of the reality of the 1947 incident. The Air Force argues that the theories claiming the presence of a spacecraft and alien bodies were the result of conflated eyewitness reports of several other incidents pertaining to various military tests and experiments that had been carried out nearby. For example, the claim of the alien bodies may have come from locals seeing parachute crash test dummies or burnt bodies from a plane crash in the 50s. Oh my! The report also mentions Project Mogul and the balloon debris. Such stories passed along to neighbors or family members could have been tainted with misremembered details. Of course, that's what they want you to believe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose it could be like the game telephone. Yeah. You know, where somebody tells a story and then something else gets added or changed. And as it's passed down, it gets different. And humans are such unreliable witnesses. They that's true. are. I mean, when you look at like, like a true crime channel or something and they always will have something where they'll show people a series of images mm -hmm. and then they'll ask people what they recall, who, mm -hmm. who was wearing this, this gentleman, what did he look like? And frequently we do not remember things the yeah, way that's mm -hmm. true. our brain kind of like matrixes or puts things together to make yeah. sense. But a lot of times it's yeah. not even correct. Especially if you're, you just see something quickly. Right. Like, I think you can be trained to remember details more precisely, mm -hmm. but, you know, for most people, you know, they're going to see something and, you know, maybe you look at it for a while, but you put it in the back of your mind and somebody asks you to recall it, there's going to be something that you don't tell correctly or mm -hmm. something you forget about. Like the power of suggestion, like a false memory. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. So now that we've heard tales from both sides, what do we think about this, uh, your UFO incident. Well, it it's kind of underwhelming. I I guess I was I had it built up in my mind like we just were discussing. Yeah. I had made it out to be or assumed it was something a lot more than it really was. So here it was just some pieces of metal and wood, and then it turned into this huge story with these little green men and a conspiracy, mm -hmm. and so it's really not. As big of what I, you know, as what I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. 
I'm kind of I'm kind of disappointed. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I think Marcel's statements, though, after so many years, I mean, there's got to be something there. So his family saw these things too. Did he bring them home with him? I think he did. I miss that he must part? have because he was ordered to collect the debris, and then at some point he flew to uh, Fort Worth. You know, who knows how long he had that stuff in his possession for, or you know where he went before he flew out to the airbase. I want to know where these pieces are. <laughs> yeah. I must know. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, if they had a display of, like, that metal with the hieroglyphics on it, the purple uh, printing on the... Was it a piece of metal? Yeah, apparently I, he was taken from the ship or something, you know, according to I don't, uh, his I would son. love to see this stuff. Mm-hmm. I really would. If it exists, mm-hmm. yeah. And who's to know? I mean, how could you say that it's even the real thing? Someone could just make it up, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Because mm-hmm. the government's got the real one, so we just made this... Yeah. Reconstruction. What do you think, Ken's? I don't know. I mean, I'm I think I'm more of a, a skeptic by nature. It it makes a lot of sense, especially after, you know, Project Mogul was declassified and um the materials that they used for the the balloons that they were making to detect sound waves, it was the same stuff that was found. Mm-hmm. Uh in the debris field or whatever, but also it'd be kind of not crazy, but like interesting or cool to think that, you know, well, of course they put that there after they took up the real stuff that they found, you know, they, they want to cover it up and they don't want us to know. And of course there's always going to be conspiracies about the military and the government. I mean, you know, they were and continued to have done some pretty shady stuff and kept a lot of things secret. Yeah, I definitely love like alien stories and like first person encounters retelling uh, what they experienced. But as far as that story goes, that one I don't seem I don't see as very convincing. Mm-hmm. But there are some amazing stories out there of things that people oh, have seen or experienced. Uh, military, the Air Force, the things that they have seen, right? And these are people that are think are pretty credible, mm-hmm. and they can't explain other aircraft out there, unidentified aircraft. Yeah. Well, yeah, true. And then, you know, if these people are talking about it, or the Navy itself is releasing uh, documents and footage about mm-hmm. things they can't explain, you know, who's to say stuff that happened in the past, you know, maybe not necessarily this incident or, you know, other incidents that could have been... Um, there could have been credibility to those too, but it's like a, we don't really know kind of deal. I keep, I keep thinking the phrase, um, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) You can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's kind of the way our nature is. I mean, maybe they're trying to protect us from true things. How would we handle it? True. How would we handle it if we knew? We know how a lot of people would handle it when faced with the truth, like we just experienced with the COVID virus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are unwilling to accept accept the truth. Or or believe in their own theories simply because they want to believe. Right. Yeah. They can't change their worldview. Yeah. If a long held belief, then someone shows you, well, this is the actual, what's really going on. Mm -hmm. So many people have trouble accepting the new data and changing their mind about something. That's true. That's true. It's like self-preservation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think though, um, maybe there are real incidents and and facts and things that have really happened or discovered. And um, I mean, I'm not paranoid, but suppose they said, we can't put this out there. We don't know how people will handle this information. So let's just kind of keep it like top secret. I don't know. I I wonder if there's that out there too, because they just think we can't handle the truth. I think uh, the movie Contact of course, it was based on the book by Carl Sagan. I never read the book, but I love the yes, movie. I think they handled that really well when they had 
kind of collected this information and they determined that it was not a signal coming from the U.S., they went ahead and released it to the public. And then you quickly saw the different sides of it, people who embraced it, people who saw it as a positive sign, and then the people who saw it as a sign of the end of the world coming. I think that would be like a realistic way that people would react. Absolutely. Definitely opposing viewpoints. People Mm -hmm. argued about Mm -hmm. it. I think they captured what would most likely happen. I mean, we can't say for sure, but we kind of have a glimpse of what would happen with how the last two years have gone. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And I also think too... It's kind of scary. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, The film or documentary In the Shadow of the Moon about, um, you know, it kind of spans from early NASA days to the moon landings. Yeah, that's a um, great, great it is documentary. one of my favorite yeah. films of all time. Uh, I, I can't remember which astronaut it was. I want to say maybe it was Buzz Aldrin speaking, but I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've watched it. But um, they, were ta- they got to a point where they were talking about all the conspiracies about the moon landings and how people think it was faked and... Um, the astronaut had mentioned, you know, I can't imagine two people being able to keep a secret. Can you imagine thousands of people being able to keep this secret? You know, even if they are government employees. Or, There's no or way. Or they're bribed somehow. Like, stuff's going to get leaked. Mm-hmm. People are going to know. I think by this point, we would have known whether or not. Right. Yeah. It'd be on ABC, yeah. NBC, CBS. And they're, and they're not that sophisticated. Yeah. I mean, really, you have different government sections whose computer systems wouldn't communicate with each other for a long time. Yeah. And yet we think that they can keep these huge secrets to no. Yeah. I don't, I There's always a conspiracy about something. There always will be. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So back to uh, Roswell itself. Um, so despite the release of the Air Force's report in 1997, the conspiracy theories, of course, persist to this day. And Roswell has become an important stop for ufologists, true believers, and tourists. The town has since capitalized on the incident with various UFO-related museums, attractions, and shops. Roswell also hosts the yearly UFO festival, which has taken place since 1996. Ooh, let's go. I know. That would be fun. At the end of June, a couple of days. Yeah, I want to go to yeah, That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your tinfoil hats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even the city's logo is not safe from the alien influence, which consists of a soul green uppercase R with the space in the center of the letter in the shape of a flying saucer and tractor beam underneath <laughs> it, which I kind of love, you know. Yeah. It's this whole silly thing that is a part of their history and... Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. just despite it, what you want to believe, they've just kind of made it their thing. Well, it's part of their economy now. Sure, so it's going to say, yeah, yeah it's coming, very important. Yeah. Sure. And, and briefly, I kind of wanted to talk about like the geography of New Mexico. Um, you take a look at Roswell and all these other cities like Socorro, where the very large array is. I've um, been there. Yeah, so you have. Cool I'm jealous. And Alamogordo, you know, with White Sands and all the testing that they did there, and so many other towns with close military and government ties and and extraterrestrial research i mean the vla was used for uh study the search for extraterrestrial life or intelligence like there's just so much going on in new mexico there's so much military and space history and also if you take a look at roswell and you draw a line to Socorro, and then you draw another line to Alamogordo, makes a triangle. You know what also is in the shape of a triangle? The Bermuda Triangle. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> oh no, Ken. <laughs> and you know what I think is in the Bermuda Triangle? Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> Collecting ships, <Yes>. airplanes. <laughs> and like, why the desert? It seems like so many things, you know, top secret projects going on out there like why why that part of the country is it because it's secluded and like inhospitable and it just was easier to like keep stuff contained or secret or but, are you questioning why do aliens always show up there 
Yeah, like there's like why is all the important like Area 51? Why is all the important top secret military stuff there? Is it just because it's a good spot to put those things or did they find things there and you know it gave us reason to investigate and contain oh, the whole chicken or the egg. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. That's a good question like yeah. when we saw the VLA when it was the way it was set up, I just figured this was a, a good place for it. You know, it's, it's wide flat. open. You you get no cell service in the whole area for miles and miles. But did they set it up there because? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Yeah, <laughs> makes you conspiracy continues. <laughs> Never thought about that. When it comes to the existence of alien life, are you? skeptical or are you true believers do you think we've already been visited by aliens totally i am a 100 true believer that alien life forms have visited the earth absolutely i would love to know if any of our listeners have ever had an experience have you ever been anally probed <laughs> <laughs> or seen anything in the sky that you can't explain or i don't know Never. yeah i bet let us know. Yeah, let us know. We want to hear about it. Just don't tell us about the anal probing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need the details. Yeah. <laughs> and how did that start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why is it always yeah, why? about that? <laughs> I mean, they couldn't look down our throat. And then... <laughs> oh, this opening is connected to that opening. <laughs> But they had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, personally, I am of two minds. On one hand, I am very analytical and like science-oriented person, so I want to see the cold hard facts. I want to see the evidence that this stuff has happened. And that, you know, I think all these theories surrounding the incident could just be the result of sensational storytelling or confusion uh but there's also a part of me that thinks there has to be life out there in the universe uh, i refuse to believe that planet earth is it and maybe we have been visited by other intelligent life forms and either they left no record behind or they're just kind of observing us from afar and they don't want to interfere kind of like the prime directive of starfleet when they come upon it developing uh planet they don't uh, do anything to alter the course of their uh, culture by revealing themselves until they are culturally uh and mm -hmm. ready or yeah maybe they're big fans of, of that yeah <laughs> maybe there are aliens among us oh maybe <laughs> i have worked with a few that i would not be surprised <laughs> um you talked about contact, and ever since I've seen that, like as a young kid, I, I wanted to believe that there's some shred of proof that we are not alone in the universe. But I also think that wanting to believe in something, despite evidence to the contrary or lack of evidence, is a very powerful force. And for some of these witnesses and true believers, maybe simply wanting the incident to be real and... Uh, what they believe it to be is enough proof for them. Uh, yeah. And don't forget the Drake equation. You familiar with the Drake equation? No. Is that about the number of possible habitable planets in the universe? It's the probabilistic argument used to estimate the number of active, communicative, extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. Oh. So it's a theory... Well, based on this person named Drake. <laughs> well, scientific well, theory has right. to have hard data behind it in order for it to become a plausible hypothesis. So, you know, when we say like theory in that sense, we're not just like, oh, I have this theory about this thing. Mm -hmm. it, there's a difference in meaning when it comes to scientific theory. So this Drake dude's got to have some type of evidence, you know, mathematically, scientifically to support his stuff here's uh more that says the equation was formulated in 1961 by frank drake 
not for purposes of quantifying the number of civilizations, but as a way to stimulate scientific dialogue at the first scientific meeting on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence or SETI. The equation summarizes the main concepts which scientists must contemplate when considering the question of other radio communicative life. It is more properly thought of as an approximation than as a serious attempt to determine a precise number. Still pretty cool. Yeah. All that went right over my head. <laughs> I heard those words. They had no meaning for me. <laughs> Sounds cool. <laughs> uh, well, with all that said, this has been a look at the Roswell incident of 1947. Thank you so much for joining us on this cosmic journey. When it comes to extraterrestrials, are you a skeptic or a true believer? We'd love to hear from you. Share us your thoughts by sending us an email at spooktacularnowpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at the Spooktacular Now or Twitter at Spooktacular Now. And please rate our podcast. If you leave a good review, we may feature yours in a future episode. This week's five-star review comes from user nsmith766 on Apple. New fave, discussion of horror movies, serial killers, cryptids, etc. What's not to love? These ladies make you feel like you're right there in the room chatting about the topic with them. Keep it up, and I'll keep listening for sure. Well, thank you, nsmith766. wonderful. It's very sweet. That was we, sweet. I appreciate you. your support and your listenership. Aww. And a uh, shout out, Kenzie, to your socks. <laughs> I see you have your space yes. cosmo- cosmic socks on. Yeah, I dress for the occasion. Very fitting. My sweatpants. And my space camp shirt oh. that I got from uh, the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in uh, was was Huntsville. That? Yeah, Huntsville, Alabama. That Coolest was fun. place. That was a sweet, yes. Go there if you've never been there. Yeah. They have not one, but two. One of them's a scale model. And the other one is a real Saturn V rocket, and they are massive and glorious. Yes, that was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, All right, so thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.